once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. Father in heaven, we do ask now that you would you really be the teacher among us, that your spirit would take words that come from my mouth, truths that come from your scripture, and you would take those into the hearts of each of us, whether we're your followers or we're here just seeking to understand a relationship with you. Would you, in a truly supernatural way, would you do something now that would in many ways bless us, certainly, but to the end that we might be truly a blessing to you, to your kingdom. So use this time we ask, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The series is entitled The Lovable Law. Many of you knew with us in the series. Uh, the law is a lovable law. David himself said, oh, how I love thy law. It's my meditation day and night. That is not the common response of the Christian community today. Most think it is something we need, and okay, we'll bear with it, and, but is it a shame that we're restricted in so many ways by God's law? No, when you understand the law, it is a lovable law. This week, we're in the fourth of the commandments, and the fourth commandment has to do with what's called the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath day holy. I've entitled this message, Seven Days of work makes one week, W-E-A-K. I hope the young people here would remember that. You want to grow up weak emotionally, spiritually, physically, weaker than you would be at least, not mean that you're going to be weak, but you'd be weaker than you could be strong. Just take this particular commandment like most Christians do and just shelve it, put it aside for whatever reason and say, I don't think that's for today. I don't think that's something I want to do. And watch what happens. You will miss out on what God has best for you. I believe that with all of my heart. And my prayer is that these three weeks can really be life-altering. See, I'm passionate about this commandment. I'm passionate about it because, in part, I love quick fixes. I love to be able to see something turned around quickly. I love to be able to find something that has immediate life-altering benefits, and this is one that does without a doubt. If we were to examine the lives of most everybody here, we're living in a very competitive and very fast-paced society. And most of the people among us would be saying, I'm, I really am experiencing to some degree some depression. I'm struggling with immorality, maybe staying away, but, but, but on, the, on the brink of some serious, serious immoralities that have long-term consequences. Others of us all experiencing immoralities every day, and some because of this very commandment being kind of pushed aside and thought, well, it's not a big deal today. I don't even know if it is for today. Exhaustion for sure. How many people are just saying, I can barely keep going? I know this. If you're a young mother, 
I probably just described to some degree your life because it is going to be that way to some degree. It's not that by taking the Lord's day, now life becomes easy and everything's kind of in a good rhythm and it flows fine and this, it's just, no, 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 no. But I'll assure you this, take what it is, take the Sabbath away and watch it get worse, add the Sabbath and watch it get better. I do believe it is a reason for so many of our problems. Now, we identify the problems as being problems like, you know, competition. And it is unparalleled today. Competition is gone crazy. One person writes this, and I found I've got it just written here, not on the board. There are no rule committees to cap our competition in the hours they devote to getting ahead of us. And by the way, that is underscored in a major league way with our little children. Our kids have to compete and compete and compete, and therefore we're watching what other parents are willing to do. We're looking at what's being offered for the extra training in the sports or the, the activity levels that are going to become excellent. I've got to get my kid there. They've got to get the best of the best, and therefore we're just trying to stay as fast as we can to keep up with everybody else. And it is true. The competitive nature of today is beyond anything it's ever been, and it's a challenge, no doubt. The fast pace of life in general, just how fast life is going, it is so different than 50 years ago. There's no doubt about that. It is much, much, much faster. But I will say this. I think that the real problem are not those things and the many things like them. One author puts it best this way. A fast-paced life is not so much a result of disordered schedule as that of a disordered heart. I want you to hear that because that really is central to everything we're teaching here. Do you understand that our life gets frayed because of all the activities, the competitiveness, and all that stuff? I understand that. But the very issue is the heart. And the heart, it, when it's disordered, then life becomes disordered. And there is nothing that can change the heart but God himself. And God has given instruction of how he is going to change our hearts so that we can have more of an ordered life. No doubt about it. I used to, uh, I used to counsel a lot. We started this church 40 years ago. That we, we didn't have staff to be pastors. and stuff. I mean, I, I had to do all the counseling. And uh, for a season, two days a week, or a good part of two days, and then for a long time, one day a week, just back to back, people coming in. Anybody that wanted counseling, I was, I was the guy. Uh, I'm not a gifted counselor. It's not my call in ministry. But, but I was there to counsel, and I've heard many, many a problem. And it got to the point that I would often say something like this, I, I, I hear all of the things you're talking about, and I would hear a, a frayed life, an out-of-control life, and the problems that's coming because of it. And I would just simply ask this question. Do you keep the Sabbath? And do you tithe of your income? What, what's that got to do with my problems? That's what I'm going to find out. Do you? Well, not, not really. I mean, probably not. No. 
I said, you know, we may just be barking up the wrong tree. Why don't we at least find out how much of our problem is related to this right here? Do you understand that God gave two creation ordinances? These are pre-Moses who gave the Mosaic laws. The two had to do with the seventh and the tenth. The seventh was one day a week. That takes our time. The other, all of our other resources, it's the tenth that we give the tenth. It's not that the sixth, seventh, seventh is not his. It's not that the, it's not that the nine tenths is not his. Certainly it is. But he says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm, gonna, I'm going to have you give this in a unique way to me, and I'm going to have you give this in a unique way to me. And, and as you give that to me, you're going to watch what I'm going to do to bring balance and saneness to your life. It's a plan that I have in the way I have designed you, in the way I have created you. Two creation ordinances. Isn't it interesting, of all of the laws of God in God's Word, among the Christian community, the two that stand out that have been abrogated, have been just set aside, are those two. It's almost to say, I don't think that's really, as far as I get it, I don't know if that's really for today. I think that's yesterday. I don't think that's that important. And, and we just move about life. For most of us, we can say our use of Sunday outside of maybe coming to church is really no different than people of the world today. It really isn't. I mean, they don't do their job as a rule on Sunday, and most of us don't have to do our job on Sunday employment-wise, but, but the rest of life, it's just the same thing. The statistics show that very, very, very few, very small percent, I think maybe it's less than 1% of all Christians tithe today. And so it's, it's just a given that you set those aside. And then you look at what's happening, not just to the world, but to the Christian community within that world. And we say, are we talking about a missing element here that is so critically significant that it could make all the difference in the world in our lives? I'm convinced that it can. You know why it's so hard? It's so hard because to obey or follow in these two arenas requires faith. You see, feeling tells us certain things are or are not. And we're so accustomed and feel so comfortable going with our feeling. And then faith comes along, the requirement of faith, which is the thing that pleases God so much. He says so in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he says, this is by faith. Faith is saying, because I, your loving God, has said so, you go ahead and embrace, even though it counters everything in you intuitively that says and feels, no, that is risky. That won't work. And he says, that's going to be faith. That's why this is a hard element. That's why I'm going to close with the way I'm going to close this message. Remember, it is a faith issue. But we, who are Christians here, we're a people of faith. And therefore, we want to say, okay, let's follow what God has to say. Now, all that is somewhat of a kind of a beginning to where we're, we want to go. Over these next three weeks, watch what you're going to see. What we're going to really be talking about today is what the fourth commandment really says. And then we're going to really be addressing the question of why. Why would the commandment tell us this? 
Is it just you do it and I said so, that's it? Or is there good reason why? What we're going to do starting next week, though, and the next, the next two weeks, we're going to be addressing the how. How do you keep the commandments? What if you have little children? What about your job responsibilities? What about this? What about all the issues that come up in this fast-paced society? How would you really keep the Lord's day? So let's look at the text, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male, your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now there's a lot of misunderstanding about that text. So let me just kind of give you a, a, a watch out for, okay? The misunderstanding of this text is that the Christian community sees the text and immediately begins to ask the questions, oh, okay, what can't I do now on Sunday? Or what do I have to do to keep the Lord's day? Just know this, if that is the question that comes to your mind immediately upon this subject matter, just know this, good news, there's a lot to learn because you haven't gotten there yet. It's just like giving. When you see about giving, people say, well, how much do I have to give? Now, is that before taxes or after tax? Well, what about this? This is really, and I've got, you know, I'm, and I hear that and I go, oh, no, 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 no. You, you hadn't got there yet. You haven't understood it yet. Because it's going to be just the reverse of that. You're going to be saying, hey, can I be freed from this? Can I, can I, it, it, it's going to be the, it's going to be the positive side, not the negative side. So just please keep that as kind of a, a little alarm going off. When you find in your heart you're asking, do I have to, what if I, can I not? Just know that's okay. we got to keep growing, but we haven't understood it fully. It's going to be my job as best I can over these next few weeks to make sure that you do understand it. Now, let's look at the first this week, the first of four teaching points I'd like to make. The first is simply this. God designed us to spend one day a week resting from our labors. Now, the neglect of this commandment leads to fatigue. Fatigue, we all know it too well. It's all too familiar. And it is notorious for devastating priorities and commitments and health and relationships. I mean, it destroys them. But when we think of fatigue, every one of us immediately thought about physical tiredness. Now, well, that's real. That's a part of fatigue. We get physically tired. And as you get physically tired, what happens? Well, we can, we're more susceptible to, to illness and disease. We know that. But that's, that's physical. But beyond physical, there is emotional fatigue. Many of us here don't even realize what we're, we're in extreme emotional fatigue. And, you know, a, a loved one passes away, a, a spouse is just too hard to cope with. The children, they're just, they're, they just keep 
doing things. How can they do this? The stress of where they are and what they're doing. And then the finances aren't coming in. And all, all of a sudden we realize, man, we got all this emotional energy being expended. What happens? Fatigue. There's also spiritual fatigue. Because if we don't get the food spiritually that we need to nourish us, spiritually speaking from God's word, his truth, you know what happens. Man, we begin to get weaker and weaker and weaker. Then immoralities, idolatries of all different types, they begin to be a struggle as never before. We go, what's going on? Why am I having so many struggles right now? Well, it may be that we're just spiritually fatigued. Imagine this. If I were to go out and say, I'm going to run for four hours. I'm going to run as full speed as I can for four hours. Well, you know I would start out as fast as I could go but it would be a very, very, very short while before I'd slow down. Why? I'm fatiguing. There's no way I'm going to get to that hour, two hour, three hour, four. I, you know it's not going to At some point, what's going to happen is I am going to be dehydrated. I'm going to just wilt. I'm going to finally collapse, and I could die from doing that. You and I both could. If we, you just can't go only so far, and then your fatigue destroys us. See, what we have to understand is it's not just physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. And so God says, I have a maintenance plan to keep you from fatigue. And the maintenance plan is one day out of seven, you rest. You work for six and you rest for one. That is God's design and how it best works. One author says, you keep probably saying, why do you keep saying one author? Why don't you say who it is? Well, I don't know. I have a file of so many different quotes and journal, I journal stuff and I quote, and, and um, I don't know if this is me saying it at some point. I don't know if it's somebody else that I didn't write their name down. But, uh, but one great person said, <laughs> I know I didn't say this one. Research by product analysts tell us that after six days of work, Concentration diminishes, mistakes increase, and morale declines. Seven-day workers lead the charts in stress-related problems. Well, I don't have any reason to doubt that. It makes sense to me, but there's no verification. I read that quote, and I say, okay, that's, that's good. But this week, I read something very interesting. It was, a, it was from a columnist, uh, Rhett Powers of Inc.com. A day of rest, 12 scientific reasons it works. And it's a list of 12. I just mentioned six of them here. Reduces stress, reduces risk of heart disease, boosts immune systems, enables better sleep, adds to lifespan, improves short-term memory. And I couldn't give you all the data that they're given underneath it, but I just, I took those and I go, that's just six of 12. I tell you, if you take that list, I mean, think about it. Longer lifespan, better sleep, boost immune system if there were a pill today that a manufacturer says we've got proof and evidence that this thing will do these things that I just read if we knew that were the case we would spend thousands of dollars if we had it even if we didn't have it we would try to find a way to get it to say I got to get that pill I'll do whatever it takes do you know what parents are giving to to make sure that their kids become the best at their sport or their activity. 
Do you realize what people are paying to go to private schools and so forth? To, to, they're going, man, this is so important. I'll sacrifice. I'll pay incredible monies because I want, I want my kids to have the very, very best. And then here before the Christian community is God saying, oh, I, I can do more than just give you a good education. Man, I can change your memory system. I can change your heart risk. I can change this. I can do, and, and by the way, it's called a day rest. And most Christians go, I, I don't think I want it. Nah, I don't think so. And we don't have to pay for it except faith. And faith sometimes is a, is a great price tag for many of us as Christians because it has to go against the love of our life, our feelings. We have to come to be people of faith. Man has a lot of good solutions, whether it be time management or longer or more frequent vacations or stress seminars. There are all kind of stuff out there. But, folks, I think we're missing it there. Those are what I would call jump starts. You know, you know when the battery goes down and, and uh, you, I had this happen just in the last month or two. I, uh, I, my battery just didn't start one time, and I had to get it jumped. And uh, next thing I knew, two days later, I had to get it jumped again. Well, it'll get me going, but it doesn't do me much for the long haul. God's remedy is a trickle charge. It's a long term. It takes a 24-hour period, and it recharges for a week. And that's God's plan. It really is the best of all plans. Now, Exodus 28, 20 verse 8. Let's look at that again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. There are two words there, Sabbath and holy, for us to understand the text. The word Sabbath means to cease. It also means to rest. But I want you to hear this. It also means to interpret. To interpret. You hang on to that because you're going to see a window open in that word to how you keep the Lord's day. It's all about interpreting. It's interpreting. We'll get to that. The word holy, it means to set apart or to make special. So what we can ask initially is, do we, make, do we make God's day a special day, or is it not? Now, we're going to have all kind of different views on what that means. God's going to give us different consciences of what we can and cannot do. That's fine. But the big question is, do we say, I really do think of this as a God's day. This is a special day for what God would have me to be doing, regardless of what we feel like that is. But is this God's special day other than the other six? Now we've got the question about changing from the seventh day to the first day. The Sabbath, we always think Sabbath means Saturday. It, it really, it's actually Sabbath is to rest. And the idea there is that there was the day God gave it. It was to rest on the seventh day, and so the seventh day was called the Sabbath. But interesting, we're not keeping the seventh day. We're keeping the first day as a Christian community. It's been the way from the history of the church. There's nothing in the Scripture that says, by the way, it's changed to this day. All we have is the example of the early church. And for that reason, we believe that we should be doing it as well. Now, I, I think the heart of it is not when, but what. But there is reason why we've changed. It's the resurrection. After the resurrection, the church started keeping the first day. And interesting, we even have a quote from Ignatius who gave this quote in 110 A.D., and he was the disciple of John the Apostle. So he was under his teaching, and this is what he says, hold to the newness of the hope that we have obtained, no longer sabbatizing, that is reverting to the seventh-day Sabbath, but living for the Lord's day. 
there are fine Christians that are Seventh-day Adventists that probably have a different view. Oh, they do have a different view on that. But, so we don't want to make large of that, but to understand why. By the way, understand when the uh, first of creation, when the day was set, it began in the evening and it went through to the next day at that time. And so that's what we've always as a church felt very fine. Hey, let's have our worship on Saturday night. Let's do it on Sunday morning. It is not like one's right and one's wrong. Not at all. We feel very, very appropriate to do that. Now, I want to finish my time, and this is very brief, but I want to everybody focus on this because these are important. Two requirements and then three, and what I'm going to call three exceptions. Here are the two things being taught in our text. Number one, six days of labor. The text is basically not just saying, okay, it's all about keep the Sabbath, but it's six days you labor, and then you keep the Sabbath. And so we get infatuated today with leisure and, and nothing wrong with holidays and vacations and stuff like that. Certainly not. But we don't want to get so wrapped up that we don't keep the six-day labor. Now, by the way, that does not mean employment six days a week. It doesn't mean employment five days a week. It doesn't mean you can't retire when you're whatever age from your employment. I have nothing against retirement. Christians should not be against retirement. But they should be against not working, meaning that I'm going to keep applying myself with the strength I have to the degree I can. I want to keep giving as much as I can to a broken world, to a need, to the whatever I can do to enhance society. And all, i got six days to do what work I should be doing as God would call me. That's good. So that's the first. But number two is the one-day rest. One day of rest. That's a prescription, meaning that God has given us specific words to say, you are to keep the one day. But we have more than a prescription. We also have an example. Look what we see in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts... And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart, because in it he rested from his work, which God had created and made. So the question is raised, does God get tired? No. He, he doesn't weary at all. So no, he doesn't get tired, but he still rested there's an interpret word there remember I introduced it it's a ceasing and so think about it this way if the infinite one God himself rested on the seventh day shouldn't we the finite do the same knowing that he says so and he designed us and knows what's best for us absolutely three exceptions there are times when you do work on Sunday. And there are three types that are given us in Scripture. Here would be the first one would be works of piety. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 5, this is what we read. Or have you not read the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath? And yet they're innocent. Well, I'm working. I work hard on, on Sundays. And, you know, that's okay. That's not wrong at all because it's a work of piety. Number two, there's a work of mercy. 
Work of mercy would be when Jesus, and I won't read the text, but Jesus would heal on the, on the Sabbath. And you know what all the, the religious people that knew the law, they come and they hammered him hard. They, hey, you can't do that. You're breaking the Sabbath. He said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a work of mercy. He would heal on the Sabbath. There's a third, and that would be works of necessity. Matthew 12, 11 and 12, this is what it says there. It says, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more, uh, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Oh, but it might tire you out. It's okay. You're doing a good work. When I was in, when I was in graduate school of theology, Many call it seminary. I had a roommate that, that just had a totally different approach to how to handle workload than I did. You see, in the graduate school I went to, and I assume most graduate schools are like this, they don't care whether you come to class or not. That's not going to affect your grade. You just better do good on your exams, and you better do good on your papers, and you better get all your reading assignments in and all the stuff. And we had dump truck day, we call it. And that was the first day of the quarter. And every professor might have five classes that quarter. They would just back it up, raise the truck, and just dump everything. And it would be, okay, in this class, you're going to have a final exam. You're going to have six papers that you have to write, and you're going to have four books you have to read. Next class. You have three papers. You have five books. You have an exam. And then, so at the end, everybody looking, we have our workload. We say, I've got, I've got 21 papers to write over these next 10 weeks. And I've got, I've got 11 books I've got to read. And you can't skim them. They say, you've got to read them. And then I've got to get ready for the exams and all the stuff that goes with that and keep up with the, the stuff so I can make a good grade. And it's like, it would feel overwhelming. And then what I would do is I would, I would take it and I would divide it into six days a week and, and put my time there, and then I could have my seventh day free. Six days, seventh day free. And I would try to make it where I got through a week early. So my last week was my favorite week because I was already ready. And I had this roommate who had just the opposite idea. The first six weeks was nothing but play. Go to class but nothing else. Would not read, would not do any papers. And then the last four weeks, I mean, it was sometimes 24 hours going at it. That last week, it was all the time. I can remember one Sunday, I'm walking by, and he's in his study there, in our, and I'm walking by, and I look over, and I say, what you doing? He says, I'm working to get this paper in. I got to get a paper done. I'm three papers behind. And I go, wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to church, and I got my stuff here, and I'm going to spend the day out. Such and, such and he looks at me, and he says, I know what you're thinking. You quit judging me. <laughs> I said, what am I thinking? Well, you're thinking that I should be keeping the Lord's day to day. But he says, my ox is in the ditch. As I walked off, I said, I agree, your ox is in the ditch. It's been there six weeks, and you're just now getting it out. So, no doubt about that. Let's conclude. When I was in high school, there was a man, I would say 40, I don't know his age, young, young pastor in our community that 
that was a, a, made a real impact on my life. Uh, if you've been around here and heard me teach on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I use a, a, a little analogy of, the, of a guy that said, can you do push-ups and how many can you do and whatever, if you remember that. This is the same guy. When I'd ask him, how do you become the holy man you are? And he used that illustration. One day he, uh, he was with me, I was with him, and he, he said, I want to ask you a question. Do you keep the Lord's Day? I said, I don't know. I mean, what do you mean, keep the Lord's Day? And he explained. And he gave me a good understanding. I mean, he helped me out. And I said, I, I don't guess I do. I, he said, do you, do you work on Sunday? I said, well, no, I don't even have a job. He said, you're a student, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, that's your job. So I guess I'm going to ask you this. Do you study on Sunday? And I said, I don't have too much, but if I need to, sure. Why? And that's when he explained everything. He said, I'm going to challenge you. From this day forth, keep God's day. Keep God's day. Now, my understanding of what that means and how to do it has changed through the years and different things, and that's not the issue. But, but he said, keep the day. And I, I saluted to that. I said, I think you're right. I'm going to do that. And from that point on, I went through my college and I went through graduate school until I came to have a job that I have to do some work on Sunday, obviously. But I had the, I had the privilege of keeping that day. And I saw a blessing that was so rich. In fact, so much so that I used to have a little saying and I would say, T-G-I-S. And thank God it's Sunday. I get to enjoy today. I don't have to work today. I can. Oh, it, it became the best day of my week. I look forward to it every single week. Now, things have changed a little bit, you know, in terms of what I could do then, it's changed for you that are parents of what you can do with your freedom that you don't have because of children. We're going to address those kind of issues, but I think the idea is when we can start thinking T-G-I-S. Thank God it's Sunday. Let me say this about the law. The law, we sometimes resist because it really does show us how far we fall from where we should be. And you know what that means? It means the law really leaves us kind of guilty, doesn't it? Makes us feel guilty. Why do we want to be around something that makes us feel guilty? Because guilt is an act of God's grace to give us guilt. Without guilt, we're in a sad place of life. The beauty of God's law, though, it doesn't just take us to show us how far off we are, to make us feel guilty about being there, but the law is the very thing that is the tutor that takes us to grace to Christ himself. That's where we see the love of our God. That's where we get faith that enables us to be able to hear what God says and to want to do what God tells us to do. You think about it. You remember the illustration early in the series I used of the junior high, young junior high kid that just never couldn't get your kid to be even interested in, in grooming. They wouldn't brush their teeth, wouldn't comb their hair, wouldn't use deodorant, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, all changes. Now they got to brush their teeth. Now they're always combing their hair. They're looking in the mirror. They're using deodorant. What happened? They met a girl. Or if it's your daughter, she meets a boy. And all of a sudden, ooh, I, I want to I groom. There are laws to grooming. 
And these are the laws that God has given us. When you take those laws and you say, why? I don't want these laws. But then you meet Christ. And now all of a sudden you go, oh, I want to keep your law. As David said, it's my meditation day and night. I love your law. It's how I groom. So don't look at it negatively. Look at the law, and it takes us to guilt. That's okay. But it's going to keep going. It'll take us right to the grace of God that's found in the work of Christ on the cross. And so that's why I say to all you seekers, keep looking at the cross, because when you see his love for you, that's what breaks the heart that makes us fall in love with him. It's the same for Christians. We keep going to the cross because we see his great love, and it continues to break our heart, and it causes us to love all the more. That's when this law becomes the delight of your heart. It truly becomes lovable. Will you hang in there with me for two more weeks? We're going to look at issues like, well, what about the text that appears in Colossians 2? It appears as if maybe the, this law is abrogated. Is it really? And, and again, what about uh, what must I do? What shouldn't I do? What do I, you know, how do I treat people who deal differently than me? How, we're going to deal with a lot of those issues. But I want you to hang in there for two more weeks. Again, get the podcast if you can't be with us. You're sick can't be here. You're out of town. You can't be here. Follow through these three weeks. This can have immediate ramifications in a stress-filled world. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do ask you to carry us through these three weeks and give me the insight to be able to deliver correctly your truth, and may we embrace it regardless of feelings. Would you give us faith? Would you meet us in our fatigue? physical and emotional and spiritual fatigue right now. May we have hope even because of this day to think that maybe there is something I've been missing that could, could make a real difference in my life forever. God, I pray that we would fall in love with you, that we might see your great love at the cross, might see what you did in giving us your son, and we might fall in love with you and him, your spirit that indwells us. I pray for the many here that are seeking to understand the faith of Christianity. May they see the law as a introduction to show the heart that takes them to you. Grant it, we pray, in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.